continue, um, continue it in First Peter. And if you remember our, our theme, as well, not our theme, but the theme of First Peter, a lot of it rests on this theme of hope. Also, it looks to suffering and hope during suffering and joy during suffering. How do we walk through this life as we look to eternity? And again, this is another passage that really anchors in on suffering. And as I was thinking about that and throughout the week, I emails from the voice of the martyr. I go back to those. I just think of these stories of these brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world that face different suffering to different degrees and in different ways. And this week received an email in regard to a Christian man in, in Pakistan. And he, his name is, is Asif. And he is one who worked in a garment factory, and he was a supervisor, and he was well-liked, and he would even lead a group of the co-workers to, in Christian prayer to, to prayer to God before their work day. But the factory owner is not a Christian, um, but a Muslim man, and he continued to tell Asif that he needed to stop the praying and that he needed also encourage him to convert to Islam. And he would continue in this conversation back and forth, but Asif, what he does is he brings his, his boss a Bible, because he knows that that is a source of hope and truth, so he brings him his Bible. And then the factory worker brings in a, a, a cleric, an Islamic cleric, in to talk with Asif and, and try to get him to, to convert to, to the, the Islam, to, to Islam faith. But um, Asif continues to resist. So it comes to the point where the boss of the factory says, well, you got one choice. You have a choice either to, um, to convert or you, you're going to lose your job. And this is what Asaph replied. He said, my God will provide me with everything. Uh, and Asaph, he, he, loses, he, he did lose his job in the midst of this. Um, and the voice of the martyrs, though, one of the things that they do is that they help provide food and jobs and help homes like this of persecuted Christians, and they've continued to provide for him. But we see in countries that where there's great persecution, there are also some of these countries where right now there's the strongest or the, the quickest growth in the church is in some of these. Like in, in Afghanistan and Iran, two of the countries where the church is growing the fastest, but it's a, cl- a place where persecution is often the greatest. But people see the lives of these believers who cling to Jesus, who are walking with Jesus and find their hope in Jesus. And the Lord is using these people as they suffer to point to Jesus. And I think this is what we see in 1 Peter. We see him writing to this church. If you remember, in this, these are probably relatively new followers of Jesus Christ. And they're, as we have seen in different places that point to that, a lot of the congregation, they're probably Gentiles. They're those who are part outside of the Jewish faith, and yet they've heard of Christ, they've embraced him, and now they're following after him, but there's some struggles that come with that. And we'll see that again as we walk through this passage today. And and one of the things that kind of struck me as I was thinking about this, and even this passage and throughout 1 Peter, is this isn't just a, a suffering for Christ. This is a suffering with him. It's a relationship walking with Christ in the midst of this suffering. As we look at that today, we kind of anchor in on that, that we're walking with Jesus often in suffering. So verse 1, 
Let me just read. I can read all of verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we just begin, we see this call to, to look to Jesus. While we're walking with, in our suffering and walking with Jesus, we're always to look to the suffering of Jesus. And it says, therefore, Christ, Jesus, he, he suffered in the flesh. And we've been seeing that. This is kind of building on what we've seen in the rest of the letter, that Jesus Christ is one who suffered, that died on the cross. And we saw last week in chapter 3, and we can just, you can just look up to that, to verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the Spirit, or alive by the Spirit. So Christ was the one, he was the righteous one, yet willing to, to suffer, even suffer the death on the cross for our sins. And he's the one who knew no sin, but willing to, to stand in our place, and he suffered. And we remember from last week that the suffering on the cross is not the end of the story for Christ, but he ascended. He rose again. That's not the end of the story is not his death, but his resurrection, that he conquers over death and sin. And in him we find life. So we see that even in the suffering of Christ, when we look to Christ, that it wasn't without purpose. Great effect, and we continue to look to that. And then... In the middle of this verse, it says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself with it. So as we walk with Jesus in suffering, we should be equipping ourselves with the attitude of Christ, the thoughts of Christ. Even this arming, this equipping, it's really that military term of of arming yourself, equipping for battle. So arm yourself with the attitude, the thinking of Christ. But what is that thinking of Christ in the midst of suffering I think there's several things that we can see in the attitude of Christ. And one of those is that Christ, he was aware and willing to, to suffer. He was, understood that walking and following after the will of God was going to lead him to the cross. And he was willing to walk toward that. I think of in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 51, there's this verse that says of Jesus, when the days drew near, for him to be taken up. And he said, well, as the days drew near for him to be arrested and crucified, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had this determination. He realized that when he went to Jerusalem, it, mean, it meant for him that he would be arrested and that he would be killed and, and crucified. But he would die for us and then rise again victorious. So there's a, even in the midst of suffering, a recognition that, and willingness, knowing that the Lord has a plan in that often, of what he's doing in and through us. And then Christ also, he knew that the cross, again, it's not the end of the story, but there was victory was in view, eternity was in view, and he, he suffered willingly knowing that. And as we even are able to, at times we do receive maybe suffering, or those who just don't understand, or maybe reject us, we pray that in that we're able to, to point them back to Jesus and be reminded that the suffering is not the end point. And then... As we've looked through this letter in Peter, there's been lots of times where Peter has said and showed us how Christ suffered. And we're called to take on that same attitude of him in different ways. And one of those we've studied already in chapter 2. So if you're able to just turn back to chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, a passage we've read several times over the last few, few weeks as Peter calls us to look to Christ. And it says, for this, 
For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile. In return, when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So in the midst of suffering, he didn't revile. He didn't, he didn't threaten back, but he trusted himself and entrusted himself to the just God, to God the Father. And then Peter speaks of it again in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to, the, for to this you are called. So remember, he, he called them to be those who, when they experience persecution or that when they're maligned, as we're going to see in just a little bit, they're supposed to respond by being a blessing. We're to be a people that are marked by love, by, by blessing. So we see that, um, that we're to take on this attitude of Christ. There's this obedience flowing from faith in Christ. And we demonstrate that, indeed, that we have a relationship with Christ. We've been united with him. We have new life in him. And we demonstrate that when we, we suffer well, that we're a new creation, that we've broken um, from sin and we have this new life that's evident in our willingness even to suffer. And it's really hard to fake faith um, when we suffer for it. It's hard to have a fake faith if we're suffering for that. And two, also we, we see in this, in this call to look to Christ and the suffering, that following Christ doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are on easy street. If we follow Christ, it doesn't mean we're going to have a fatter wallet um, with, filled with money. It doesn't mean we're going to have a bigger house. Or it doesn't mean we're going to even overcome all of our sicknesses. Um, but sometimes it actually means that we're going to walk through difficulty. We're going to walk through trials. Um, and sometimes it means denying ourselves to set ourselves aside that we might be able to serve other people. And even setting aside some of, we often we have uh, perceived things that we perceived are our rights, our, our desires that God must be, must fulfill in us. But that's not, that's not what we're called to. Sometimes it, it means difficulty, but it's not difficulty and hardship without true life and true joy and true hope. And experiencing the true grace and mercy and the kindness of, of Jesus, our Savior. Even in the midst of the difficulty of this world as we follow after him. That we find life in the risen one, Jesus Christ. And then, the last part of verse 3. I know you're thinking, we're all, we're all, we haven't even got through the first verse. This is going to be forever this morning. Don't worry. We're going to pick up. We're going to pick up. Don't worry. I know we're point three, verse 1. I know. Okay. It's okay. So for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So walk with Jesus in suffering, remembering our rescue from sin and brokenness apart from him, really. So whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Has ceased from sin. Again, like last week, we had some hard sayings in Peter, and we're like, what is Peter saying? And we have some in here that we've got to wrestle with a bit. And it may be that Peter is saying that those who have suffered because they're following Christ, those who have laid aside, and now they're almost living a life, or they are living a life that's countercultural. and we're going to see in verse 4 that they're maligned, that they're, they're mocked, and that they're willing to suffer, and it gives evidence that they've broken from sin, and that they're willing to follow after Christ, 
Again, it's hard to have a fake faith if it causes suffering upon you. So so maybe he's saying, hey, there's suffering that you've experienced, demonstrating that you have broken from the bonds of of sin, that you have this new life in Christ. But as I look at it, as it kind of in context of all that Peter's been saying, it seems more to me that he's looking back to, as he's taught that, we look to Christ, um, the one who, who died for our sins, the one who suffered in the flesh for us, and that when we trust in him, we're united with Jesus Christ in faith. And there's this demonstration, even in baptism, of that there's a death to sin and a new life in Jesus Christ, and that we have um, this eternal life in Christ. As Peter said in, in chapter 2, verse 24, he said, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed, we've been forgiven, and we've been healed, and we live this new life in him. And also, maybe in your Bible there's a, a cross-reference. If you have a Bible that has all the cross-reference in different verses, it may have Romans 6 in there, pointing to where Paul speaks about this. And I think in our community group, we, we are, no, I was with our, our guys group. We were wrestling through this a little bit with Romans 6 and that where Paul talks about how we're in Christ, we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, that we're no longer in, in bondage to sin. Before Christ, is what, we, what are we inclined to most do is to follow after our sin and our own self. But there's this breaking. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, that we have this new life in Christ. So we're to, to have, have this attitude as well. And the verses 2 and 3, see, I told you we're going to move on. 2 and 3, we're going to bunch them together. 2 and 3, we see that we walk with Jesus uh, in suffering. We're living for God and not just our own me-centered desires. There's a change that happens, but it's for good. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So here, Peter again begins to continue to, to, to this speaking about this life change that has happened, has occurred in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, that there's this huge shift in the way that they live. They shift from this kind of a me-centered life, seeking to fulfill one's own passions, and moving to that of a God-centered life, seeking to, to follow after him and uh, to follow his words. The one who is the creator of all things, the one who knows how best we can walk in our life, find great flourishing, and we follow after him, knowing that in him there's real hope and real joy and even healing that can happen there. And This verse, though, isn't indicating that we don't have any desires or passions but we're no longer to have desires and passions that are rooted in, in the fallenness apart from God. That never, those things that never truly deliver, they never truly enable us to escape. They're just momentary. And sin, of course, there's pleasure in it, otherwise we wouldn't pursue it, but it never fully delivers on what it promises to offer us. Uh, that's why sometimes we talk about some of these things is candy-coated poison. Um, they taste good for a while, but they don't bring life. They don't bring renewal. Instead, we're called to root our desires in the words of God 
I think of, of Romans 12, 2, where it talks about that we're not to conform, be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we might know what the, the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We follow after the things of God that are good, that do bring life. It's a little bit too like, sometimes here we talk about how do you share your faith? How do we share about what God has done in us, what Christ has meant for us? And we use this, this illustration of three circles. And one of the circles is a circle that has the word brokenness in it. And in this world, there's sin and brokenness. And in our lives, we're always trying to, to escape that brokenness, to, to ease our pain. And there's in that circle, the picture of the circle with the brokenness, there's little arrows coming out of it. But those arrows of different things that we try to escape the brokenness of the world, just through the passions of this world, the things that this world has to offer, but it never fully gets us out. It's because we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And then verse 3, I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, the, the translation there. It says, for there, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. There's already been enough time spent in doing it. So he's, he's saying that, the pursuit, your time, he's saying that they've done this. Those he's writing to, he said, this is the life that you used to live, and it's, it's enough. You've done it enough. Um, you don't need to continue in it. It's, it's a bit like, um, with, this is completely hypothetical. Like with, your, with children, um, sometimes they might get whiny about something, and, and you come to the point, and you're like, that is enough. And you're not, saying, you're not saying that, I'm glad you wind up to this point, and now it's enough. No, it, you're saying that it should have, it's, it's just complete. You don't need to ever do it. So if we've lived our life apart from Christ, either it's been maybe you were, when you were younger and you rested in Christ, maybe it was five years, or maybe it's been 55 years or 65 years that you lived apart from him, and you say, it's enough. Turn to Jesus, or you've already turned to Jesus, but I think in here there also is a call to just turn to Jesus, saying, hey, they're, they're, this life that you've lived apart from Christ, it's, it's enough. Come to him. Find life. Find the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's time. And Peter here, he lists ways that these people once lived, or some of us once lived apart from him. Vices of this world, again, a ways that we try to seek heaven here on earth that just never fulfill. They always fall short. And he calls them instead to, to walk with Christ. And they've rejected and they're walking against all of the customs of their Greco-Roman society around them. Um, even setting aside idolatry, again, pointing that they're probably a Gentile audience if, if they were pursuing idolatry because the Jewish audience would, wouldn't have been doing that. Let me read from first, again from First Peter earlier on. We've read this earlier. Chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's calling them to, to live a life different from the world around them, that they might point to Jesus and that those around them will find the hope of Jesus. So our, our, our lives are to look different. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded to look at our life and say, does it reflect Jesus Christ? 
Does it point other people to Jesus? Is there a change that is happening in us where we're continually putting, taking off the old and putting on the new in Christ and following after the things of him? I, I was listening um, this week to an audio book and actually bought the book because this one I, I want to start reading. I bought it last night, Kelly. <laughs> um, so on the Kindle, I was like, oh, I just got to read this one. It's um, the, so World Magazine, every year they have a, a Daniel Award where they award it to, to someone who's kind of stood up in the face of really hard difficulty, stood up for Christ. And this year, their, their Daniel is um, John Perkins, who is a 90-year-old African-American man. Uh, and he wrote this book called um, Let Justice Roll Down. And it just shares his life as, of one who's kind of stepped in. And later in life, he, he followed after Christ. And he said as he followed Christ... Uh, things began to change in his life. And it wasn't, he said, one of the things was gambling. And it wasn't because the preacher began preaching all against gambling, but he just began to follow Christ. And as he grew in him, the old kind of to left. And he gave the illustration of an old oak tree. Um, an old oak tree, as, as spring comes, the, the juices, the sap, all that stuff, nutrients they get from the earth comes and, and goes out to those limbs and to the leaves. And it pushes off the old leaves. Um, and the new ones come. As he walks with Christ, there's a change that happens as, as Jesus sanctifies us and makes us new. And as maybe you look at this list, you say, well, well I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not real, I don't really participate in any of those things, but the list really could, could expand a good bit as we live for self. Sometimes it means sometimes we, we have trouble forgiving. Sometimes we're self-protecting. Sometimes we have trouble going toward those who are in need. And even like... Christ said, when we, we lust in our heart, it says uh, adultery in our heart. As we have anger in our heart, it's, it says murder. And we need, we need Jesus, uh, this list points to. And he's reminding them of all that Jesus has done and for them to walk in that. And then verse 4, we see walking with Jesus and suffering, not being surprised when there's harsh rejection for our life. But may we not continue to point people to Jesus. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when they do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So we see that the world is watching them and they see that their life has changed and they're looking at them and they're like, this is so strange. Why are you not doing what we have always done together? Why are you not joining us in this excess of life? Why are you not following after me, us, and doing this? And they malign them. And also, too, in that culture and in that day, it did speak about that they no longer went after idolatry and followed after the gods of that time. And it would have been not just a private thing to reject the gods of that time, but a public thing, as they would have public festivals and worship to these gods and these idols. So it was out there in the public and they're maligned. They're those who are now, they're ostracized. They're outside of the society. They're kind of outcasts, probably within even their own family because they're following after Christ. And they don't understand that. And it may be um, during that time that part of it was that they saw their changed life and there's a conviction of heart. Or maybe it's as if their life is kind of a wet blanket on all of their pursuits and passions and they see their friend of following after for after Christ. And as I read and studied about this time, it, as Peter writes to this church 
probably during that time, there wasn't throughout the whole Roman Empire a persecution, government type of persecution, but this is probably more of that persecution that he's speaking about here within society, as they are those who are now uh, countercultural, those who are walking opposite of, of what the world around them is doing. But in this, um, they're able to point people to Jesus. They're able to show that their hope and their faith and their life is in Jesus now. Think of 1 Peter 3.15 that says, But in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he's saying that through this life, as you live this way, people are going to ask, well, why do you still have hope in the midst of suffering? And they can say, it's because Jesus, he died for me. I have new life in him. I have forgiveness of sins. That stain that was there has been wiped clean. And, and I want to follow him, even if it means suffering. And then finally, uh, walking with Jesus in suffering, we were to be those who remember and look to eternity. Eternity is ahead, verses 5 and 6. But they were giving account to him who is ready to judge the living. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. So Peter he begins to point to eternity um, and as we learned well, as we studied in the book of James in, New, in the New Testament, and later we've studied in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, that, that life, life is brief, it's short, it's a vapor. Um, it's just a moment. As now on our, on our phones, um, there's a place where it has different pictures from years past. And now as those pop up and we look at the kids that from three, four, five years ago, we're like, holy cow. I can't believe how much they've changed. It just goes so quick. Life is brief, and we need to look to eternity. And here we're seeing that we have a God who will justly judge all people. And it's an encouragement to these believers saying that those who malign you, that there would be judgment. God is just and good, so there's comfort to be found here in one truth, in one reality, and a reminder, too, that our God reigns, and we don't have to worry about sometimes um, there's a, a phrase or maybe someone has said to you as you fall after Christ, well, you're probably just going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. In community group, we talked about that. But we're reminded that in light of all eternity, uh, we're reminded that we have a Savior who is over and above all things in all history. And we, we stand with the, the risen Savior. We're not on the wrong side of anything. Last week we read in 1 Peter 3, 22, who has, who has gone into heaven? Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So we're reminded there. But there's also, with the comfort, on, there's comfort on one hand, um, but a warning on the other as well, that we all need Jesus, um, that we will stand before a just Judge, but forgiveness is offered out to us as we saw again last week in, in verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ, again, he suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
He was one who was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, that we have hope in him. Um, that, that's where we find our forgiveness, that we can stand before a righteous judge because the righteous one died for us, the unrighteous, that we might be brought in and forgiven. And then verse 6. Uh, again, uh, Peter, Peter writes in a way that we have to be like, okay, what is he saying here? Um, and I, I'm going to read uh, a translation. Uh, it's really it's a paraphrase of it from the New Living, but I, I think it's a good interpretation of this verse, and I think it's helpful. It says, That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. So Peter, he's saying that, he's speaking of those who, who, are, who are now dead, but were alive, and when they were alive, they did hear the gospel preached, and they repented, and they believed, and they trusted in God. And although they died in the flesh, that they, were, they, still rose, or they still have eternal life, and that they will rise again with Christ, and that there's new life that they have, eternal life that's found in them. So as you look at this verse, you might first look at it and say, well, is he saying there's a second chance that once we die, the gospel will be preached to us, and we have an opportunity to then repent and believe? Well, um, if you look at all the light of Scripture, um, and the context even of 1 Peter, we see that there's no way that that's what Pe- first. That there's no way that that's what Peter was implying here in this passage, uh, because if it was, why would he call them even to suffer? You might as well just live life as you will, and you'll have a second chance. And at that time, just um, repent and believe. But we see in, in context that he's speaking to those who've heard the gospel, they've died, and and now that he's reminding them that they have life in Christ. And it may be that in that time that there are those who are around them who are watching them and their lives that they follow Christ and they're seeing that those who follow Christ, they still die. And they may be saying to, to their Christian, the, the, those who have yet to trust Christ are saying to their Christian friends, well, look, you guys die too. What's the difference? You're going to die. We're all going to die. Let's just live how we should live. But he's reminding them that um, in him, in Christ, there is eternal life in him. And we're reminded as we saw and again, in, in verse 18 of chapter 3 that we just read just a bit ago, that Christ rose again, and we too in him will have new life in him, and that the death of Christ wasn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the story, but he rose again victorious, and that death isn't the, doesn't have the final say if we're followers in Christ. Jesus endured suffering, but he was vindicated. And we, in the same way that we point, we endure in this life knowing that that. In Christ, we will have eternal life with him. We have hope in him. And he's encouraging them in the midst of suffering. So this morning, there is a, a call. Uh, there's a call to, to say, even and ask your, your life, in your life, has your time apart from Christ, has it been enough? Is it time for me to, to turn and rest in Jesus Christ even today? Though if you're a follower of Christ, you know you've been resting in him. It's a reminder of how, how am I walking in this life? Uh, am I following after Christ? Am I recognizing that I'm not suffering just for Christ, but with him and walking with him? And in it, be reminded that we can point to Jesus and be reminded that he is risen and that we have such hope that goes beyond this light momentary suffering but that we have a weight of eternal glory waiting for us with Jesus. Let's pray.
Dear Father, God, we thank you so much for, for your goodness and for your word that speaks truth. That reminds us of, of the only source of hope that we have. And that it's not uh, anything, our hope is not found in anything that the world offers, but it's found in you. And we thank you for that. And I pray that you would even use these words in Peter to encourage our hearts, to challenge our hearts, to convict our hearts, that we might follow you and rest in you and trust in you and uh, be mindful of how we live and how we walk through difficulties and even. Lord, may you awaken hearts to the truth of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.